0: A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you're with me on the program today. We are going to be talking about uh, what's going on in Kansas City and uh, St. Louis, Missouri, where the mayors there are uh, getting together this week to call for an end to firearms preemption in the uh, state there. This uh, in conjunction with a new ballot initiative that seeks to uh, put a repeal of firearms preemption on the ballot before voters in 2024. Now, before we get to that story, let's talk about something else for just a moment here. You know, Biden's America... Absolutely crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. America's working two jobs just to get by. Inflation, pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch meat the next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life, including, by the way, limiting our ability to purchase ammunition. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it. And I know it. That's why you should call GoldCo, so you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, with thousands of five-star reviews. And they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today... Qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Goldco at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. Now, if you are a regular viewer slash listener to Cam and Company, you know we've been talking quite a bit about the war on firearms preemption uh, that is taking place around the country, right? Uh, Columbus, Ohio City Attorney Zach Klein uh, trying to undo preemption in the courts by uh, along with the city council there uh, enforcing some measures that directly contradict the state of ohio's fire preemption law democrats in colorado repealed that state's preemption law a couple of years ago there was a, a move in florida by some elected officials to sue over uh, that state's firearms preemption law they lost by the way uh, in court which is nice to see but the attacks continue in fact uh indianapolis city council scheduled to vote today. The the vote has not taken place as of the time that I'm recording this, but they're going to approve several new local gun control ordinances that they acknowledge cannot be enforced until the state of Indiana repeals its fire and preemption law. But again, this is part of a pressure campaign to get lawmakers to do just that. And here's the uh, Kansas City star this week. Kansas City awash in firearms, but Missouri bans local leaders from regulating guns. Right. So again left with a clear impression that, uh, well, gosh, the answer must be allowing more local control uh, to these cities. As the Kansas City Star writes, Kansas City records a or confronts a rising tide of killings this year. One tool remains out of bounds for local leaders and law enforcement restrictions on guns. For nearly 40 years, the paper writes, the Missouri General Assembly has retained for itself the sole authority to regulate firearms. The closely guarded power has kept city councils and county commissions around the state from imposing limits on concealed weapons or requiring the registration of handguns. But as the toll of gun violence has mounted in Kansas City and St. Louis in recent years, that power faces a growing challenge from anti-violence advocates, local leaders, and others frustrated by what they say is a major obstacle to combating the daily rhythm of shootings in the two cities. Again, If we only had the ability to put our own local laws in place, by God, everything would be different. Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas and the mayors of St. Louis, Columbia, and Springfield scheduled to meet in Kansas City on Thursday to, quote, discuss collective solutions to gun violence and state preemption laws. That, according to the mayor's chief of staff, Uh, Lucas also scheduled to meet with uh, the group Sensible Missouri on Wednesday. That is the group that is putting together this ballot initiative, to try to repeal firearms preemption in the state of Missouri. Uh, Lucas told reporters on Friday, quote, I think the community is awash in firearms and largely firearms that are in place where people are either drinking or looking at retaliation or looking at any number of issues. And I think it is clear, not just from Kansas City, but if you talk to mayors, prosecutors and police officers in any major city in the country, these are ingredients that have led to more incidents like these. Now, here's the thing. As we reported last week, uh, crime analyst Jeff Asher has been looking at the numbers, and he says we're actually on pace for perhaps the biggest one-year drop in the homicide rate nationwide. So it's important to remember that Kansas City is actually bucking the trend. In fact, homicides in St. Louis this year... Still far higher than they should be, but uh, according to uh, the city of St. Louis, and I'm looking here to see the uh, the data here. This is from June 30th. city of St. Louis has actually seen a 3.5% decline in the number of homicides recorded this year. Kansas City, homicides up almost 20%. But again, around the country... What we're actually seeing, more cities noticing a decline in violent crime and homicides, and in fact, some cases, a very sizable uh, drop. And that would include places that have, again, uh, firearms preemption laws that are in place, as well as things like constitutional carry. Um, Again, this is not uh, something that uh, you can look at and say, okay, well, well, Texas has constitutional carry and uh, firearms preemption and things are getting better. Not really. I mean, Houston has uh, seen a dramatic decline in homicides this year, a 24% drop in yearly homicides as of May 31st. Um, Dallas, Texas, on the other hand, has seen a 7.8% increase in homicides this year compared to last year. That's through uh, July the 5th. So when you look at the data and you see, you know, states like uh, or cities like Greensboro, North Carolina, 57% increase. Uh, in violent crime. Now, they don't have constitutional carry. They do have, they don't even have, uh, well, they did repeal the pistol purchase permit requirement earlier this year, which is good. There's still plenty of gun control laws on the uh, books in North Carolina. Uh, Or let's take a look at New Jersey, for example. New Jersey does not have firearms preemption laws. Um, And what you find is that uh, some cities are doing better than others in New Jersey. Uh, Crime can be up in a uh, city like Trenton, uh, down uh, in a a place like Jersey City. So I would say that what we're looking at here really are local issues, but local gun laws are not going to make much of an impact. Why? Well, local laws are generally misdemeanor offenses. It's the state that sets felony level offenses, right? You go to state prison. You don't go to Kansas City prison. You go to jail in Kansas City, again, for a misdemeanor crime. But what we're talking about here are serious crimes of violence, serious felony level offenses. And I think if you want to reduce crime in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, in Kansas City and uh, St. Louis, you have to look at the criminal justice system and policing first. Before you look at adding any new gun laws to the books, that's even before we get into the constitutionality of uh, these proposals. Now, as the Kansas City uh, Star notes, proponents of returning local control to gun policy uh, over to local government say that there are a variety of rules that cities and counties could enact to have some effect on violence. Some say officials could implement new handgun permit requirements, mimicking at a local level the repealed statewide rules. And again, in Kansas City, In St. Louis, and every city in Missouri, only those who can lawfully possess a firearm can lawfully carry it. Permalist carry doesn't mean that prohibited persons all of a sudden get a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. So, yeah, they could impose a licensing requirement if preemption went away, but what would that do? The people who are committing these violent crimes in St. Louis and in Kansas City, by and large, are not legally possessing these firearms right now. So they would continue to be in illegal possession of a firearm that they currently are not allowed to possess. What's the change in law that's going to actually make these cities a safer place? And again, keep in mind, this would be a misdemeanor offense. You'd be looking at maybe a fine, maybe the possibility of a, a few months in jail. And I say maybe. Because, again, <laughs> if you arrest somebody and they're charged with a violent offense, a misdemeanor isn't going to add any more time. In fact, I would worry that a misdemeanor offense, when you're facing felony level charges, could be used as plea bargain bait. And it is used as plea bargain bait around the country. We, we, we saw this, uh, well, we see this on a regular basis in our recidivist report, where individuals who are facing serious violent felony charges end up copping a plea down to misdemeanors. They get to probation. They get a slap on the wrist, and they're sent on their way. So to act that repealing firearms preemption in uh, the state of Missouri would somehow lead to more punishment for violent criminals, I think, is absolutely false. Now, even among those who are in favor of repealing preemption, there is also some disagreement as to what laws need to be in place. Uh, Groups like uh, Sensible Missouri... Uh, The mayor of Kansas City may want to see uh, more restrictions again on concealed carry. But according to the Kansas City Star, others say guns have so thoroughly proliferated society that permits may be of limited use. Instead, they say ordinances requiring guns to be safely stored, requiring owners to report stolen or missing firearms could make a difference. Jennifer Joyce, a Democrat who served as the St. Louis Circuit Attorney from 2001 to 2016, said she sensed a growing availability of guns and more homicides of young people over her tenure as firearm restrictions were rolled back. She's now a principal at the Vera Causa Group, which provides leadership training and consulting services to prosecutors. She says, I think the horse has left the barn when it comes to handgun permits, adding that she focuses more on measures like requiring parents to keep guns locked up. Now, stores laws have their own uh, dangers to them, right? Um, I think we as gun owners want to make sure that Juveniles, particularly uh, those who we don't want having access to firearms, uh, don't have easy access, but at the same time, it's difficult to come up with a one-size-fits-all policy that is going to protect lawful gun owners and those who may have given their uh, juvenile children an education and how to be safe and responsible with firearms. They don't mind. Uh, their uh, child having access to a firearm for the purposes of self-defense in particular. And we've seen those stories, too, where juveniles defend either themselves or their parents uh, during home invasions or burglaries because they were able to access that firearm. Again, it's it's a more complicated situation. They said, well, if we just had a law on the books, then that would take care of the problem. And even the mayor of Kansas City, Quentin Lucas, kind of acknowledges much saying on Friday that uh, gun regulation, quote, isn't everything, pointing to criminal activity in Chicago, Philadelphia, and other major cities with some level of fire restrictions. But the mayor says he is a believer in, quote, local solutions to local problems. He said, I think that anything that allows the people of Kansas City to have a stronger voice in connection with how we can feel safer when we're going to grocery stores, schools, or for a night out is something that would be positive for us in the long term. I disagree. Because I don't think it's about feeling safer. I think it's about being safer. When it comes to being safer, we know that there are a few things that can make a dramatic impact in terms of violent crime, starting with focusing on the most violent and prolific offenders, not trying to make it harder for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves. And that's apparently off the table in Kansas City and in St. Louis, because again, Their efforts are aimed squarely at law-abiding gun owners, at responsible gun owners, at folks who, again, who are trying to comply with the law, not those who don't give a damn about human life, much less the felony statutes that are already in place in the state of Missouri. Again, firearms preemption, it's not the, uh, it's, 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 fire preemption laws, are a way for the state to provide a uniform body of regulations that gun owners can easily follow. An end to fire and preemption laws creates a patchwork quilt of these local ordinances, again, that are completely ineffective at reducing violent crime, but may very well have a chilling effect on the lawful exercise of our right to keep and bear arms. If you live in St. Louis or one of the suburbs, you drive you know, through three or four different communities on your way to and from work every day, you would be expected to know what those ordinances are in every one of those bedroom communities, because if you violate one of those ordinances, again, you'd be looking at a misdemeanor offense. Now, for violent criminal, no big deal, right? They've got a list probably as long as their arm of misdemeanor arrests. But for those of us who, again, try to stay on the right side of the law, even a misdemeanor is something that we don't want to uh, have on our record. And so some people, again, not violent criminals, but regular gun owners, would choose not to exercise the right to keep and bear arms because it would become so legally perilous to try to exercise a fundamental civil right. Again, that's not the answer for trying to fight violent crime. It's certainly not the answer for trying to protect people's rights while fighting violent crime. And an end of firearms preemption would mean less security, less safety, and honestly, More plea bargain opportunities for the individuals who are responsible for these homicides and shootings in Kansas City and St. Louis. We'll keep our eyes on uh, what's going on with this ballot initiative. Clearly, the uh, mayor of Uh, of Kansas City, anyway, looks to be uh, getting behind this proposal. They're in the uh, signature gathering process. They need to collect, I believe, uh, about 174000 uh, signatures to get on the ballot in twenty twenty four. So we'll uh, keep you apprised as to uh, the progress that's being made in an attempt to roll back Missouri's protections on the right to keep and bear arms. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Once again, here exactly what we're talking about: Durham, North Carolina, man who shot and killed five year old Durham girl was cousin of girl's mother. has record with more than fifty. Five zero prior charges, and apparently very little time behind bars to show for any of those arrests. Forty-two-year-old Brian Deshaun Luster is now charged with first-degree murder for the death of Chloe Fennell. Also charged with the attempted first-degree murder of Destiny Sidberry, as well as possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He's currently in the Durham County Jail, held on no bond. Luster, the cousin of Brittany Dash, who was Chloe's mother. who was living with him at the time of the shooting. According to WRAL, um, police originally called to the scene for a drug overdose. When they got there, they found that the uh, shots had been fired. Sidbury hospitalized in critical condition. Fennell was shot and killed. Uh, a friend of Dash says that um, Destiny Sidbury was uh, babysitting, watching uh, Chloe Fennell and another child when Luster showed up. Uh, Francine Gray is the uh, friend. She said, Brittany's one of those people, if you need someone, she's giving it to you. You need a place to stay, she'll open her doors for you. She was helping someone out, letting him stay there. And uh, this is how she was repaid. Luster has been in medical isolation since last Thursday, uh, represented by a court-appointed attorney. WRAL reports that he has a lengthy criminal record stretching back more than 20 years. More than 50 charges levied against him since he was the age of uh, 19. He's, again, now 42. So, basically, his entire adult life has been spent in the revolving door of the criminal justice system. WRL highlighted some of the crimes that he has uh, been convicted of or at least pled guilty to in the early 2000s. They say he spent seven months in jail and was charged with numerous crimes, including assaulting a female, making threats, and domestic criminal trespassing. So violent offenses going back nearly 20 years. 2005, Lester goes back to jail for almost a year and two months, charged with crimes that include uh, drug charges, again, assaulting a female, assault with a deadly weapon, and eluding arrest. WRAL reports years later, they don't say how many years later, he was in jail for more than three months, just three months, after being convicted of assault with a deadly weapon, as well as willful and wanton injury to personal property. Now, again, at that point, Luster is already a convicted felon. Three months in jail for a violent offense. 2010, as long as prison stint it sounds like, in prison for nearly three years after being convicted on charges of assault with a deadly weapon inflicting serious injury. 2017. Luster is back in prison, sentenced to more than two years and three months. Now, sentenced does not necessarily mean that's how long he served. In fact, a two-year, three-month sentence probably served about half that after being convicted of larceny, stealing more than $1,000. Now, think about that for a second. Luster got more than two years in prison for larceny, grand larceny, three months for being convicted of assault with a deadly weapon, in willful and wanton injury to personal property. He got more time for theft than he did in aggravated assault. Now, again, charged with the murder of a five-year-old, the attempted murder of a 15-year-old girl. And uh, I doubt that the uh, plea deals are going to be offered to Mr. Luster this time around. But again, the question remains, why? Do the criminal justice system, not treat Mr. Lester seriously on the 50-some-odd occasions that he appeared before a judge or at least was taken into custody. And again, if you want to reduce violent crime, you do far more by ensuring that a repeat violent offender gets sentenced to the maximum allowed time than you do by passing a gun control law that is aimed Towards someone who will never commit a violent crime to begin with, which brings us to today's armed citizen story. Now we don't have all of the details here, and I do generally try to wait until um, information is, you know, come out that makes it obviously apparent that, that we're dealing with a self-defense situation here. I, I believe that is going to be the case. Uh, Not a great headline from a Murfreesboro, Tennessee, but we'll get into the details. Two men dead after shooting outside a fast food restaurant in Murfreesboro accused shooter claiming self-defense. Now, those self-defense claims appear to be uh, backed up and buttressed by the uh, eyewitnesses uh, there on the scene. Um, But let's give you the details here. Murfreesboro Police Department said that officers responded to reports of shots fired at a cookout restaurant just after 1 a.m. this past Saturday. Police say when they arrived, they found 31 year old Tony Fuller with a single gunshot wound pronounced dead at the scene by Rutherford County first responders. Fuller's 18 year old brother, Jacob Hawkins, was also shot. He was taken to a local hospital where he passed away. Uh, WKRN reports, according to officials, the preliminary investigation shows that Fuller and Hawkins initially approached the car with a 21 year old man inside at a McDonald's drive through. That 21 year old then left the scene to get away from them. So he tried to get away from these individuals. Investigators say the brothers then spotted the same vehicle in the cookout drive-through line, and that's when they got out of their car, approached the uh, vehicle with the 21-year-old inside. The three men began to argue. The brothers reportedly started assaulting the 21-year-old while he was sitting in the back seat. That's when the 21-year-old drew his firearm and shot, hitting both brothers. Uh the alleged shooter, one of the two people or one of the people who called 911 to report the shooting according to police, Uh, And they say that, um, this is a criminal investigation division, Crimes Against Persons Unit Lieutenant James Abbott, says, quote, there were several bystanders who didn't know any of those involved, who voluntarily told detectives what they witnesses and provided sub provided video. The witness's account is consistent with the shooter's claims and with the evidence collected at the scene, the claims of self-defense, in other words. According to police, no charge has been filed against the accused shooter. pending further investigation, we will uh, keep our eyes open for any more details that come out of this story. But again... This does indeed sound like an act of justified self-defense. The, the victim in this case, the 21-year-old, uh, who was approached first at one drive-through by these two guys, tried to extricate himself out of that bad situation. You know what? Don't want to deal with these uh, individuals. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to grab my food. I'm going to get on my way. They followed him, uh, allegedly approached him, allegedly began assaulting him, and only after he was assaulted did he draw his firearm and shoot those two individuals. Now, again, if that story is backed up by eyewitnesses and evidence corroborates uh, that account, I, I don't think that uh, this 21-year-old is going to be facing charges. That would appear to be a, a justified use of force. But again, we'll keep our eyes open bringing bring in more details uh, to that Murfreesboro story as they become available. Finally today, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a, a neighbor who saved a baby's life thanks to... Uh, her timely knowledge of CPR. I can only imagine how scary this was. The uh, woman in question says she just heard her neighbor scream. uh, In uh, Hudsonville, Michigan, on Friday morning, Olivia Drake was just hanging out on her back porch when she heard somebody screaming next door. So she ran out her front door, ran over to her neighbor's backyard. There was an 18-month-old girl who wasn't breathing. Drake said, when we saw the sun jump into the pool, we knew that somebody was most likely drowning. And my instincts just kicked in. She said, luckily, my instincts kicked in. I was on autopilot, was able to perform CPR. She had CPR training when she was younger. She said, I was certified through my youth group. So I've learned twice. She said, from there, I didn't think I was ever going to use it. She said, I was just so grateful to be in the right place at the right time. Honestly, she said, I'm blessed to know how to do CPR. I was able to stay calm and go through that. Uh, Fox 17 in Michigan spoke with the baby's mom. She said, her daughter is doing better. She also thanked Olivia Drake for her quick action because uh, she said, despite herself knowing CPR, she was frozen. She she just locked up. Um, so it really was incredible that Olivia Drake was in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to help uh, a neighbor in need and to save the life of a child. Again, it's not just about being there, but it's about uh, knowing what to do. And in this case, She said uh, her autopilot kicked in, um, and that was enough, apparently, to save this little girl's life. So, Olivia Drake, tip of the cap, and thank you very much for your uh, very, very good deed. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Burying Arms Cam & Company. We will be back with you tomorrow for another edition. Don't forget to check out BuryingArms.com throughout the day. For all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation, we've got great contributions today from Tom Knighton, from uh, Ranjit Singh, as well as myself. And uh, you never know who might be uh, popping in to the website as well, providing their two cents on some of the uh, big issues of the day. Don't forget as well, you can always become a VIP member. Just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code gun rights and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying, thanks for showing your support. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. New stories and analysis that matter. Just like your support. So thank you again for... Uh, kicking in and uh, supporting the independent pro second journalism that we're doing here at Bearing Arms. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe. And be free.